Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. You guys, if you are a guest, what a perfect day, perfect day for you to be here. We are starting a new series today. Um, I have always been uh, incredibly horrible at naming and theming series. If it was up to me, most of my sermons would be titled John 3 or Acts 4 or whatever. I just, I, that, that's not the way I think. That's not the way I operate. Um, but we, we tend to go through passages of Scripture uh, and look at those. And so we're going to begin today the life of Elijah. We'll take a break for Easter. Uh, but we're going to look at the, the life of Elijah. So you can be in first. Kings chapter 17 is where we're going to be today. Um, in, and if you are one of the women who are in the women's Bible study, all right, let's just have a talk, you and I, for just a second, okay? The women in the women's Bible study started out this year studying Elijah. So they've already gone through this. So my greatest fear, the thing that keeps me up at night, is that they're going to be like, boo! You know, Janet did it better, uh, you know, and, 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 and that. And so if you could just act surprised when I tell you things that you already know, that would help my fragile ego so much. Uh, I really, really appreciate that. Um, and so, so when you think of um, Christians in the life of Christ, um, Elijah is the premier prophet of the Old Testament. He, he belongs up there uh, with David and Moses. He belongs up there uh, in the New Testament with Peter and Paul. He is, he is a magnificent person to study in the life of, uh, of people who follow God. And what we know about Elijah is, is most of us, you've heard a sermon that we'll get to in several weeks of he calls down the fire. And, and, and I want to look at, okay, what do we have to do to get to a place where God uses us? I mean, we love the idea of being a champion for God. Now, that, most of us, that doesn't mean like on the stage as a preacher. But surely, if you've given your life to Christ, there's been a moment where you're like, I want God to use me. I want God to do something great in my life. I want to bring him glory in a magnificent way. That's such a wonderful uh, aspiration to have. And we're going to see over the next few weeks what Elijah goes through in order to have that happen. Because there's so much prep work in order for us to really truly be used of God. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks going over that. Now, the background of what's happening is, is it, uh, Israel was a, a united nation under David and his son Solomon. Uh, they were extremely powerful, extremely wealthy. Uh, and then the, the, uh, because of a, of a king who made a bad decision, the, the kingdom of Israel splits into the north, which is still called Israel, and to the south, which is called Judah. So um, they, they split off, and they, they won't ever uh, reunite. And so what we have now is we have uh, Israel with much of the same similar uh, uh, language and beliefs and background now operating as two separate kingdoms. So everything rises and falls on leadership. And so how did the king of the north do and how did the king of the south do? Well, in the, in the southern kingdoms, there were 17 kings. Eight of them were godly. 
eight of them were godly. And so, uh, in fact, in the time that we read about, you read about an incredible king named Asa. He is bringing revival to the land. He is a godly king, but not so where we're going to be focused on, which is the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 19 kings, and every single one of them was wicked. Every one of the 19 kings was wicked. Now, when you go through that type of succession, you can imagine how horrible, how debilitating uh, the, the followers of Jesus, how much they had shrank, how much uh, lawlessness was over the land. And so God is going to send a prophet, Elijah, to call the people back, to show them uh, what they have done. They, uh, the Bible describes Elijah in uh, chapter 16, verse 30, says, um, he was the son of Omri. He did evil in the God's sight more than all before him. It's one thing to be evil. It's another thing to be more evil than the last 12 guys. Uh, I mean, you're just like, I'm taking it up a notch, all right? So that was Elijah's story. Then he married a uh, woman in verse 31. He followed the sin of Jeroboam, and he married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of the Sidonians, and they proceeded to serve Baal and to worship him. So... For all time, the name of Jezebel is off the, off the possibilities for girls. I mean, no one names their daughter Jezebel because of this story. She is a horrible, wicked woman. And so, uh, so because of that, uh, we now, we, we think of her, and, and, and even we see at the end of time, there's a spirit of Jezebel. This is a, a wicked woman who serves a false god in the midst of people who are trying to be godly. And what we see about uh, Ahab and Jezebel in their marriage is that you probably have never seen this in our day, but this happened back then. Uh, there's, there's a really weak man and a really strong wife who kind of kind of controls everything. Uh, I'm sure you've never seen that. And I, I saw some of you, you're talking to each other and you're talking about a couple right now. Shame on you, this is church. All right, so that's, that's what's happening. Huh? Ahab's the king. But Jezebel's in charge. All right, my my uh, my wife's family. They used to uh, some of the previous generations. They used to say, "Oh, my husband." The women in her family. They used to say, "Oh, my husband. He's he's the head of the family." But I am the neck that turns the head. And so that was definitely Jezebel. She she definitely is ruling instead of her husband. And so that's the background of this story that Elijah walks into. So first. King Chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers, he said to Ahab the king, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left, and he lived at the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he would drink from the wadi. After a while, the wadi dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So I want to talk about Elijah as a prophet first, because he begins uh, just a little bit of his uh, prophetic ministry, and then he goes off to basically be prepared. So what is a prophet? Do not get the idea in, in the Bible that a prophet is like a fortune teller or a future teller. That's, that's not what they do. That's not who they are. A prophet is a, per a person appointed by God who comes in a time where they speak the word of God clearly to a generation. 
so that they know what God wants. And so Elijah is called to tell the people, hey, here's what's happening and here's what God wants for you during this time. They call people back to God to proclaim God's word. And so uh, oftentimes it's, it's with the idea of, hey, these are the sins that our people are committing. This is the way that we need to repent. And we'll see that in the days to come. So Elijah starts out and he tells the king, there will be no rain on the land until God tells me and I pray for that rain. You can imagine in the agricultural economy how devastating a drought is. And so he is predicting a drought on the front end because he's praying to God and God has uh, given that to him. Now, I had a great, great illustration about a Scottish uh, uh, man named John Knox in the 1500s that fits so well right here. And I'm not going to tell you about him because I had an illustration happen to me on Thursday of this week that shows you what a prophet does. So this literally happened Thursday of this week. Mel and I are at a coffee shop um, and we're hanging out. And I don't know about you, but for some of us, uh, when you spend, like we had been together like four days at this point because she uh, went with me to a conference. And so after four or five days, there's like a magical moment where you look at your, your wife and you say, I got nothing else to say. Uh, I mean, that's it, right? <laughs> You're like, nothing. I mean, we're, you know. And so the people, these two women sit down at the table next to us. So I proceed to listen in on their conversation is basically what happened. And so, so uh, we're playing cards and I'm listening to them. And uh, they, they, they worked for the, uh, a large company, same company, but they had never met before. And so uh, you have them meeting together for the first time and just uh, talking a little bit about work. But really, I, I guess they were just kind of, you know, becoming friends is basically what. And so, you know, tell me about your life and this and all of a sudden. And then this magical moment happens and my ears perked up. The, the, the one who had been at the company longer, uh, the other one asked her a question about what she was doing. And she said, well, she said, I'm a Christian. And she said, I base all of my decisions on what God wants for me, for my life, from the Bible. And that's how, and I was like, oh, your pastor must be so proud of you right now. I mean, you know, I was like, man, I was like, oh, it was, it was I was like, uh, you know, I'm trying to get Melinda, I was like, you know, you're right, you know, and she did Now listen, sometimes we get this idea of prophets or we get this idea of people who uh, talk about Jesus, that they're these weirdos who stand out on the street corner, you know, repent for the end of the world is near, and, uh, and they're yelling at people, and this was the exact opposite. This was normal flow of conversation. It was obvious that the woman that she was talking to had some religious background but was not a believer. And she didn't throw her coffee in her face and be like, get out of my face, you Christian. And that's not what she was like. Oh, I, yeah, well, tell me about that. And she begins to tell her about her church and what Christ is doing in her life. It was a very, it was just easy conversation. It really was. And, and that, it didn't happen in like really super long. Then they went off. Uh, I don't know if you know how, how women talk, but they don't decide on a topic before they start. They just, whatever. All right, so that was like, it was like, okay, we did Jesus. Now let's talk about gardening. And uh, that's, that's what, all right. Um, and so they did that. That's fine. All right, but at the very end of the conversation, the Christian said, well, listen, I would love to have you come to my church on Easter. Do you know, Easter is, is uh, uh, next Sunday, and, and we're having baptisms. And, and just, and the lady was like, yeah. She was like, yeah. I mean, just, I was, I was like, this is so amazing. I was like, I want to go. You should listen to her. Yeah, and, and so, so it was great. They, they, 
it, it was this wonderful, wonderful moment where the, the, the work of God was opened up in someone's life. And it was natural and it was honest. I wanted so badly to encourage the Christian to say, hey, look, I just want you, know, you to know I heard that. I'm, I'm proud of you as a believer. Uh, they walked out together, so I couldn't be like, I ain't going to. You know, like, guy following you out of a store evidently is, is creepy. And uh, so I couldn't do that. So, so she's just gone. Like, just gone. No one was around. Her pastor didn't see. You know, she wasn't getting some sort of special points from her church or anything. It was all God. It was this amazing, wonderful moment. That's, that's prophetic. Hey, you know what you need? You need Jesus. <laughs> you know who you need? You need Jesus. And it was just such a wonderful moment. And so I have, I've prayed for both of those women several times. I will pray for the, the woman, especially that's, that's coming to church over Sunday. I'll pray for the woman that talked to her. Uh, be, uh, you know, God, just, I just pray that you, you, you saw that. You saw it, and you were proud of her. When we come, and we, when you think about a, a prophet, we often think about a preacher. We often think about someone like me who stands up, and, you know, and, and that's, that's not always the case. The, the prophet is the person who proclaims the word of God in, in a timely manner, in a timely way to someone who needs it. And I saw that this week, and it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You've got to be willing, if you're going to do that, you've got to be willing to stand out a little bit. Because, listen, I mean, you're, you're like, okay, we're going to steer the conversation to Jesus now. We're going to see where this goes. We're going to see, and, and, and we're going to see how this looks. You've got to be willing to stand and be different. Let me show you a great example. I saw this recently. This is, let me show you a picture. This is in front, uh, this is in Denver, uh, in front of the Capitol building. They built that building, I think, in the 1920s. And they, uh, uh, I don't think they realized that the poor people would use it as a swimming pool in the summer, but that's what happened. And so, so Mel and I are looking at this, and I love this picture, because man, those kids are having fun, right? And so, but, but I want you to look at something, because I want you to be uh, different. Now, all the boys, they, they jump in, right? Now, look at the girls. They're all standing up, because they do not want to get their dresses wet or dirty. The boys don't care. The girls do, except for, look at my wife. She's off to the side. She's pointing at one girl, and that girl's like, I'm going for it. That looks fun. And she is in the water. We named her after my sister um, because uh, that's the kind of girl she was. Man, she was, she was like, heck yeah, I'm having fun. All right? And so, and, and I love that picture right there uh, because everyone else or all the other girls aren't having near the enjoyment of this one girl. Are having you know near the experience, and you know she's she stands out. If you're going to be used by God, you're going to have to stand out. You cannot look around and go, "What what do y'all think I should do?" What, well, what's what's normal over here? You've got to be willing to be someone who is used, who is uh, not like everyone else. Because most people, when they meet for the first time, they're like, "Tell me about your life. Tell me about your life." Tell me. Well, let's not discuss politics or religion because that could get us in trouble. And and this woman was saying, "You know what? Let's 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 talk about Jesus because that's the most important thing." Now you have the opportunity this next week to do this. You have cards in your pockets. These are invite cards. Easter is next week. These are invite cards for you to stand out in a world that doesn't talk about deep spiritual things for you to be the one to be like, hey, God's doing something special in our church right now, and I would love for you to be a part of it. I would love for you 
to know what God has for your life. I would love for you to come with me and check it out. I, uh, uh, we're going to pray over these at the end. But this is your opportunity because here is what God says about Elijah. This is um, James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. But he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land, and the land produced its fruit. Elijah was, the, the verse starts out, and he was like, Elijah did great things through his prayer life. But it starts out and says, he was just like us. He was just like us. If you get this idea that inviting people to church and talking about Jesus is for some sort of spiritual elite, for the pastors of the world, for those of us that are paid to do it, or anything else, then you miss out on seeing the power of God in your life because Elijah was just like you. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. And then he prayed that it would, and it did. Elijah was a man just like us, and God used him mightily. That's what we want. That's what we want during this season. That's what we want to find out from this book. How can we be like someone used like Elijah? So I'm going to give you two words for, the, for today of how we see Elijah um, being trained during this time. So he tells, he gives the prophetic word, and then he goes off. The first word is hide. Is Elijah hides. He is on his own. He is out from everyone else. He is hidden from the world. The Bible says go to the Wadi Cherith. A Wadi is, is basically a ditch or a ravine that is empty until it rains. And so it is, it is a drainage or a runoff uh, place. And so, uh, you, you know, especially if you live in Tahitian, you know where these are, right? Uh, so you've seen this is where the water flows when it rains a lot. That's, that's what a wadi is. So it's not a river. Uh, it's, it's drainage for when rain has, has uh, during a, a wet season. And so he goes there and the Bible says, I want you to go. So he, he has to leave everyone. He's, he's not preaching daily right at this point. He's just hiding on his own. And if you and I are ever going to get to the point where we are going to be used by God, then write this down. We have to train in secret before we minister in public. We have to train in secret before we minister in public. If you want to be used by God, if you want to be known, if you want to, you know, especially if you want to, if, if you feel called into the ministry or to be on a stage or seen uh, uh, by people, then you're going to have to become very, very comfortable with being unknown for a long season of life. Before God allows you to be known, um, there's a there's a, a a teacher of leadership, and he has a principle called the oversized gift, and it fits really well here. Think about this. All right, so you go to a, a five year old's birthday party, and so you bring your five year old kid, their friends, and you buy the five year old a toy, and uh, he opens it, and it's great. And then his parents bring out a gift, and they give him a shotgun. And you're like, that is an amazing shotgun. That is so inappropriate for a five-year-old. You're, you're like, let's, let's start out with, a, with an airsoft gun and then work up. But they literally give him a shotgun, and they, they don't even give him instruction. They're like, go out, try it out. You're like, let's go. Come on, come on, come on. Right? And so that's, that's the oversized gift. It's, it's, it's too big. It's someone that can't handle it. It's a good gift, but it's someone that can't handle it. And so the definition of an oversized gift is where charisma takes you somewhere that cares can't sustain you. Where charisma takes you somewhere that character can't sustain you. In other words, you can do something really well, and so they put you out in front of people, and all of a sudden, that, that gift explodes. It's overwhelming, because you don't have the character underneath to match. 
And so what God wanted from Elijah was like, hey, I want to use you. I want to put you on the biggest stage in this nation. And in fact, you're going to be on such a big stage that they're going to be talking about that stage for thousands and thousands of years. Now, in order to do that, I've got to develop you on the inside. I've got to develop your character. I've got to develop your worth. You've probably seen people like this. It's actually really common in church. You've probably seen people who have either a music gift or a speaking gift who are put out in front of people too early and their character, they, they flame out because they begin to be, the, the, their God becomes themselves. Look at me, look, the, you know, just this just constant consumption of attention from others versus uh, revelation from God. And so God wants to develop us in a hidden secret part of our life. If you are between the ages of zero and fairly young, this is for you. This is for you. You will not be used of God greatly because he can't unless you will be willing to let him develop you in private. To let him teach you how to speak and how to change and how to transform in your life. So what do we do when we hide? Two words that I've got under that. First one is there's a certain lack of boredom. There's not a lack of boredom. There's a certain amount of boredom in hiding for God. If you are like, I want great. I want big. I want amazing. I want everyone to know, everyone to see. And uh, that's not how it happens in the early days. There's boredom. There's repetitiveness. There's just learning from God, reading your Bible, trusting him along the way every day. There's a certain amount of that. You've got to learn to trust him. It's, it's not fun. I think we think of training uh, like uh, if you're my age, this will really resonate with you. If you're younger, you, you might not understand it. Uh, but you remember when Rocky woke up in the morning and he cracked the eggs in the glass and then he drank that and then he went out on the streets to start running and the, the theme music comes on. Dun, 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 and you're like, oh, you, you know, if you're a man, you're watching that. And you're like, I'm going to go jogging. And uh, you're, oh, and then all of a sudden, you remember all the people from the town start following him and and cheering him on, and he runs up those steps, and he's like, ah. we think of training like that, and everybody going, yeah, Rocky, and, and it's so not like that. There is no theme music in running. Uh, there is no fun, you, you know. Most of the time when I see people running now, I'm like, no one is chasing you. Uh, well, why are you doing that? I mean, it's all on your own. It's all for you. There's no theme music. There's no other people coming out of their houses going, let us cheer you on. We're looking through the blinds going, now nah, watch Netflix. Uh, that's what we do. And, and, and we've got to be okay with that because this is where God develops us. This is where God develops character sometimes through that boredom. The second word is loneliness. Loneliness. We don't know, we don't know Elijah's background at all. He was a Tishbite and he came from the Gilead settlers. We don't know. We don't know. Was he married? Was he not? We, we have no background truly of Elijah at this point. But... God sends him off and God's like, why don't you be alone for a while? Because what God wants to see is, am I enough? Or do you have to have the stage? Or do you have to have the applause? Or do you have to have people watching you? Or do you have to have someone saying, you're so good. You're so great. Jesus wants to know, I'm enough. 
And if I'm enough, if I'm sufficient for you, then I can trust you with other things that won't make you haughty and arrogant, that won't become your idol in your life, that you will say, Jesus, if all I ever get is you, that is so much more than I need, so much more than I deserve. I want you. That's what God does in the hiding place of our lives. And so if you're in one of those seasons where you feel like you're in obscurity, where you feel like, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to serve the Lord, but traction isn't happening very much, that's okay. That it's truly, truly okay. God is teaching you some magnificent lessons that will come and play um, greatly in your life in the days to come. I remember uh, being taught this lesson in a preacher class. Uh, my my uh, evangelism professor, he used to say to us, um, uh, he, he was on some pretty big stages and several of us would go hear him preach and he was, he was just a fantastic preacher and a great man of God and uh, he used to say to us you're not ready to preach anywhere until you're ready to preach anywhere and so he used to say to us if you don't have a regular preaching gig then the f- problem is you because you want a big gig not what God has for you go find a nursing home Go find a little youth group. Go find somewhere that's in obscurity and learn to preach. And when you're ready to preach anywhere the gospel of Jesus Christ, then he can begin to use you for some greater things. So we hide. The second word is provide. God provides for us during this season, supernaturally. I don't know if you got this, but don't, don't gloss over this, okay? We believe that the Bible is literally true. We believe in the miracles of God. We believe in the text and what he says. And the Bible says that he drank from the wadi, so it was the, the wet season because we see it dry up in a little bit. But then the Bible says that the ravens brought him food every day, twice a day, bread and meat in one hand. I mean, how did that happen? We don't know. That's a miracle. We don't know if somebody was over there going, I don't know where this, you know, or like the raven was really crafty and stole the bread. I don't know what happened. But it literally happened that God was bringing him meat and food from a bird every single day. God provides supernaturally. God provides, I mean, in ways that you can't be like, I deserve that. You're like, guess what just happened? A, 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 a bird just, just brought me a steak. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. <laughs> You're like, so I told the bird, I like it a little bit more rare, you know, next time. And so, uh, so it, isn't that amazing? And so God provides for us. Now, here's the deal. And I think this is a super important lesson for all of us. We are in a very unknown season right now. We are in a very, uh, for most of us growing up, you kind of knew what was happening and what was probably on the horizon. We don't live in that right now. We, we, we really don't. Um, you know, we're, we're you know, somewhat within COVID still, but the war in, in Russia with the Ukraine is a very unsteady, unstable, strange situation that we could be pulled into. We, uh, uh, China is watching. They're going to do, eventually they will uh, probably do the exact same thing that Russia did with Ukraine. China will do with Taiwan. How are we going to deal with that? We are in a, in a time of great uncertainty. And what our temptation is in those uncertainties, our temptation is to go and to begin to trust in the things of this world, in our bank accounts, our ability to go to Costco and become a prepper and get, you're like, I have 500 pounds of rice and beans for the future, you know, when this happens. Uh, I, have, I have all of these things going on. And, and God is the one who provides in seasons of turmoil. God provides, and he's going to provide supernaturally. 
don't be so consumed about, about worry, about fear, about what's going on. God provides for his people during uh, those, those times, every single time. Think about Moses. When Moses preached to Pharaoh, God sent the plagues to the Egyptians, but not to the Israelites. Did you know one of the plagues was that it was dark over the land? It was dark over the land of Egypt, who God was punishing for their sins, but it was light in the land of the Israelites, in the land of Goshen. That's amazing. God provides. Think about um, Noah. Noah is the, and his family are the only uh, uh, godly people within the whole world. And so God is going to judge the whole world. But what is he going to do? He's going to provide Noah a boat in order to escape. God does the same thing here with Elijah, and he'll do the same thing with you and I. When tough times come, because of godliness, he will provide for you. He will provide supernaturally. I don't know how. And listen, if you try to have it at the same level or the same place, you will miss out on God. Because many times he'll have you move. That's what he does with Elijah. Go move and go camp by a river uh, is basically what he's doing. Go And, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide supernaturally. So we can't trust in our home. We can't trust in our job. We can't trust in those things. God will provide supernaturally during those times. And so uh, we have to be willing to do that. So let me give you two lessons in providing. Two lessons in providing. Number one. God gives the water. He gives the water through the wadi. And then he can withhold it as well. If God has provided for you for a long time through one means, that doesn't mean that he owes you that thing. So, uh, this summer, 15 years at River Valley. And God has provided for my family from River Valley, from the, the, the tithes and offerings. I get, I get paid at this church. So God has provided. That doesn't mean that I am owed another 15 years. That doesn't mean that, that, that he's going to always provide the same way. God can withhold the water in our lives. And so what we're, we're not talking about water. We're making a metaphor here. We're talking about supernatural, the provision of your life, what he needs. And so there are times that we uh, lose our jobs unfairly. There are times that we experience illness and heartache that, that is absolutely unfair and we don't understand reasoning behind it. And there's no way to explain those things. God can withhold those things. And the reason he does sometimes, not all the time, and definitely don't tell someone else why he's doing this. That's, that's bad. But many times it's because we begin to trust the gift, not the giver. We begin to trust the paycheck. We begin to trust our work ethic. We begin to trust, you know, I'm kind of climbing the corporate ladder here. We begin to trust, uh, you know, our intelligence, our background, our education, those type of things. And God is the giver of those. And so if we rely on something too often, what will happen or what can happen is we begin to think, well, I brought that gift in. I'm trusting in that gift. And so God will change the sources of that. And that's what he does. And this, the, the, the wadi dries up. Now, you know, if you have to choose, you want water over food. You can go a lot longer with, with, uh, without food than you can water. And the water dries up. That's what happens here. Now, we read through verse 7. Do you think verse 8 says, and Elijah died of dehydration? Uh, you know? <laughs> No, that wouldn't be a very, it definitely wouldn't be a good series, right? <laughs> You're like, let's talk about death for the next, you know. No, no of course it doesn't. Of course God is going to provide another way. In fact, we're going to see it. God's going to provide supernaturally. And so he, he can change how he 
provides in that. And also, many times when he does this, uh, it is not a brook, a dried up brook is often a sign of God's pleasure, not disappointment. Elijah was doing everything right. And so Elijah was not being uh, punished here. He was being rewarded. Good job, Elijah. You passed uh, growth 101. You passed the first tough season. Let's move on. Let's learn some more because we, I've got a big day ahead for you. I've got something to do. And so when, we, when something happens like this, many times we think, God, why are you so mad at me? Why are you doing this? And oftentimes God is saying, I'm not mad at you. I am so proud of you. Good job. Way to go. So the second lesson of providing is that God provides for today, not forever. Now, God will provide for forever, but he will do it one day at a time is what I mean by that. He will do it one day at a time. Most of the time, myself included, I want a large reserves, especially as I'm getting older. You know, one of these days I would like to retire. And so I'm investing and I'm, you know, I want that reserve to go up. But God, God doesn't promise those things. He promises I will provide for you today. Give me today my daily bread, we pray. Just today. And guess what? I'll have to trust you for tomorrow. And he's teaching us this trust over and over. He, in, in other words, God doesn't reveal the whole plan. God reveals the next step. God doesn't say, go that way and make all the lights green. God says, go that way, and I'll show you just one step, one step, one step in order to go. And I'll provide along the way, but I'm not going to give you enough for the whole journey, again, so that you don't uh, have to trust me in those things. So, lessons for today. Lessons for today, three that we're going to pray for. The first is salvation. Sanctification is number two, and invitation is number three. Salvation. The Bible says Elijah, he said, I stand in the presence of God. Elijah had a saving relationship with God. If you're here today and you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, he loves you so much, he died for you on the cross. Jesus has a perfect and wonderful plan for you, but it begins with salvation and him dying on the cross for your sins and him being buried in the tomb and him being resurrected on the third day. Elijah, we don't get to see that part of his story. That's already happened, but it's so important that if we're going to build on it, that we build on that, that we build on the fact that we are saved, that we do have a relationship with God. Because let me tell you what, the only way that you can take big risks for God is if you know that your eternity is secure. You don't have to, oh, I hope I get to heaven. I hope I'm going to make it. I, I think it's going to happen. I, yeah, no, no, no. The Bible says we can know. You can know that you have a salvation relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. That he's died for you. That he's been buried in the tomb. That he's been resurrected. And that he is truly the Lord of your life and the forgiver of your sins. You're going to have that opportunity. Second, sanctification. It's a, it's a word for growth, Christian growth. We are watching Elijah grow. We're going to see this, this monster, massive prophet in the days to come call down the fire of heaven. Literally, fire is going to come out of heaven. He's like, you thought not having rain was cool. Watch this. And he's going to call down fire. But in order to get there, we've got to watch him grow. And he's got to learn to trust in Jesus. And he's got to learn to be okay that all I have is Jesus and he's enough. And he fed me yesterday and I trust that he will feed me tomorrow. That's sanctification. That's growth in our life. And God wants to use you. He really and truly does. But he refuses to leave you the way you are in order to do that. He wants to grow you and expand you 
in your life. And number three is invitation. We want to invite others into this story. We want to say to others, hey, not only does God want to use me, God wants to use you. God wants to not just save you from your sins, but grow you. And he has a plan for your life. I would love to see the eternal plan of the two women that, that I saw at the coffee shop. I would love to see what, what's God going to do in the days to come. And I'll get to in heaven. But till then, it, it's, I just got this little glimpse and this little, like it really is happening all over the world right now. Every single day, every single moment. And we want to invite people to be a part of that. So let's pray for those three things. Number one, salvation. If you don't know Christ as Lord, you can ask Christ, him to come into your life to forgive your sins. You could have a relationship with him that is him taking away your sins and forgiving your sins. Believing that he died on the cross for you. Believing that he was raised to eternal life. That's salvation. You do that. Jesus has done all the work. You just accept the gift that he's offering if you are here today and you say anything other than I have that, then you need to know. Not I hope, I pray, I think, and, you know. that You can know. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call out to a holy, wonderful God who loves you and he'll save you. Number two, sanctification. God loves you and has a plan for your life, but he wants to grow you into that potential. None of us are ready for what he has in the days to come. We need to grow and expand and to learn. And he has a sanctifying plan to do that. If you feel like you're in obscurity right now, like no one's seeing or really recognizing what you're trying to do for God. If you feel like you've spent a season, uh, maybe even a year or more, of really trying but, but not seeing traction, that's okay. It, it's okay. There are moments of hiding in the presence of God. If you are learning from Him, if you are growing in your relationship, if you are in prayer and Bible study, if you're at church and God is just showing you and moving you with things, but, but the outcome just seems to be you and Jesus, that's a wonderful place to be praising for that. You know something else is coming, but not in a, it, 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 instead of that, it's in addition to that. He always wants to connect with you. God, grow me. Don't let me be the same Christian I was last year or the year before. Spin my wheels over and over. Sanctify me. Number three, invitation. You have cards in, your, in the seat backs in front of you. You have cards on the chairs that you're sitting on. These are real opportunities to make an eternal, impactful difference in somebody's life. Somebody did it for you. You wouldn't be here otherwise. Somebody invited you. A parent told you. You heard. Even if it was, man, I heard these people talking and I thought, I got to get back in the church. And you just drove by the church and here we are and you thought, I'll go to that one. There's an invitation that is happening to bring you to this point. Be a part of that for someone else. Be a part of that. Pray right now, God, who would you have me to invite? My friends, my neighbors, my coworkers. God, those around me, my family. God, help me to be used in my invitation for you. Pray for the two ladies that were at the coffee shop. I don't know their names. 
pray that God would tell the one that did it, man, I'm so proud of you. And the other one, you need to come. You need to go on Easter. Something special is about to happen. And the same thing for those that we invite. Jesus, in your name, we praise you for all that you are and all that you are doing. God, when we are willing to be used by you and to grow into faith, I know that great things are ahead. We see it in our church. May we see it in our lives individually. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.